0: Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. David Faber has the morning off. Let's kick off Q2. Futures are mixed after OPEC gives us that surprise production cut. Got some Monday M&A. It is a holiday-shortened week. We'll still get the jobs number on Friday. Our roadmap begins with a second-quarter surprise. OPEC announcing that cut as it comes off the after the longest monthly losing streak for crude in about nine years. Tesla's strong quarter. Deliveries top 422000 up 36 years. On year. And after months of searching, WWE finally has a buyer. We'll get to that. But we'll begin with the markets. Kicking off Q2, oil prices, stocks rallying on this cut by OPEC plus nations. Jim, on a voluntary basis, it's about a million and a half barrels a day.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I think that a lot of people felt that when, uh, yes, this strategic petroleum reserve uh, would be refilled, and that might have been a bid under the market. It didn't happen. Uh, and then a lot of shorts pressed their bet because they were making so much money. Remember, you had, a, you know, it was cut in half. Yep. Uh, so it's really well-timed. Uh, oil stocks have started to go up in the last week, so maybe some, there were some people at wind of it. But uh, overall, I don't know how strong it's going to be. We're going to lighten up on some oil for the trust. And the reason we're going to do that is because, again, the economy is getting a little more anemic, except for China. So they may do this, but that may only just take off what... Uh, what might have been a a problem with demand anyway. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to get too excited about it. I I do want to know is when you speak to the big drillers and service companies, they think that Russia is going to have a problem producing as much next year uh, simply because they don't have the technology anymore. But it's not this year. But it would be uh, very interesting to watch if – if Russia becomes less of a power in oil. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, some stories on the tape this morning about Russia, their seaborne flows hitting new highs. Right. That could be an offset.
1: Well, they're good. I mean, that was something that, uh, you know, an SLB might have worked on. In 1910, uh, uh, Standard Oil and and Russia were the two biggest producers. Standard Oil, of course, then became just a lot. They split it up. But it is amazing that Russia's been in there the whole way producing, uh, and I keep thinking that they've used U.S. technology. Let's see what happens without it. But they're still yep. skating on what we taught them. Yeah.
0: Uh, J.P. Morgan today uh, says, look, uh, we expected this cut a couple of months ago. And so our forecast is still unchanged. Uh, Q2 average 82, Q3 average 84. I think that's it right. make sense to you?
1: Yeah, I think that's actually really common sense. Uh, I know that there's some people who felt that. Oil should be dramatically higher. But when you go through all the different notes that we've been getting, everybody's ratcheting back what they thought could happen in the second half of this year. So why should uh, oil go up when everyone is saying, listen, we don't have as much demand all the way across? With the exception of of Tesla, I'm sure we'll talk about that. But there there aren't many people who feel the second half is going to be strong. So uh, uh, you take this much off, that's not that much.
0: What about the notion that, I mean, the White House, some argue, blew it. On this well. SPR, and then, and not only that, Jim, that they committed the cardinal sin of leaving a potential customer out to dry with that promise at seventy. Oh,
1: oh I just, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about this all weekend and trying to think about a diplomatic way to say it because I don't want to be perceived as being pro or anti. But I just feel like that I, I'm a big believer in the treaty petroleum reserve. I don't think there's it's been obviated by the fact that we've been, become a better producer because maybe maybe we go down flat. But yeah, I mean you say you're going to do one thing, you got to do it. I think, like, let's just leave the, the the orb of politics. I mean, if you promised me you're going to buy it at 70, and then when you let it go down, I would say, well, either you're a bad trader or you're not honest. And, <laughs> and I think that you reap what you sow here. They, he didn't get the greatest short trade in history, right? He sells it high yep, and yep, buy yep. It low. And, and so I think that, yeah, I think that I can see people feel that, that he was um that he dissembled or that he forgot or something. But we never heard exactly why.
0: No. All we heard was Grand came out and said it's gonna take longer than we thought probably. I know.
1: Yeah. Right, well okay. I'm about for the president to talk about it, but I think that it fired the president probably just say hey, look, I'm right. not to say. It.
0: Uh, meanwhile, uh, China, the boom appears to be in progress. Yes. Uh, Macau.
1: Oh, did you see those numbers? My
0: goodness, 250% for the month. Uh, that's a post-COVID high. Yeah,
1: you know, it's funny. We don't see many numbers uh, that are so much better than expected going on these days. So you read all the research notes and everything's like, well, that's slightly worse. That's not so good. But PPG had a really good quarter, and some of that is China. And Macau is strong. So I think we're starting to see China play a role. And I know uh, Lee Cooperman talked about that. We we, we were waiting and waiting waiting for when it's going to uh, hit. It's, I mean, even Nike, I was with Nike, Nike had good good china, but this could be fantastic for Nike. Starbucks, we talk a lot about how a barista was fired. How about the fact that they're opening a Starbucks every nine hours over there? Maybe Starbucks, but Chapel Trust has owned Starbucks for a very long time. I think this is their time. And obviously they've switched to cold brew. Boy, their lattes is good. <laughs>
0: um, let's talk a little bit of Q2. Uh Q2 gain was good, right? Oh. Uh, core PCE was light on Friday. Volatility has collapsed. I see Gerard Cassidy this morning said the bank deposits have stabilized. Uh,
1: and, and, and It's an unlike, unlikely rally from four weeks ago, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: But how much bleeds into the next month, at least? Well, I think they
1: marked up a lot of – I think traders marked up a lot of tech, which is why NASDAQ down. But you know, A lot of people saying, well, Dow up because you just several. No, but there was a lot of marking up. But uh, I think – that we're going to see, unfortunately, the banks start. So you had a little frolic here until the second week of April. Uh, and I think it'll frolic like a PPG pre-announced with the upside. Yep. But I think the banks are going to be their, uh, their quizzical selves, saying, listen, we're, not, we're being squeezed and in there's interest margin. We're very uncertain. It doesn't pay to stick your neck out if you're a banker. Uh, so I, I think that that's their first. They create the pull on the market. So we can go down into them because no one really wants to go wrong into, right, like, right. you know, Bank of America, J.Borning. These are great companies. So I think we go up a little and then down. And then because everyone be be afraid of, the, of when the banks start talking. And then the banks will let us down. They'll be bad. <laughs> <laughs> as they, as what they, are they gonna say? Hey listen, don't worry about us. Uh, and then I think you get that rally again.
0: Interesting. Well we do have we're gonna get to the MA uh this morning on several fronts. Someone's
1: making some MA money at yeah. last.
0: Um, I got an upgrade of SLG. I mean I wonder that how it's a shocker yes, out of BMO today? Right.
1: Well no SLG, we've been reporting on it for Mad Money about how it's these office buildings and their banking buildings, they're the things that are really being hurt uh, from work from home. Uh, now, they would argue, listen, they're really being hurt by higher interest rates. That's what really determines it. But I thought that note was very interesting because I think people at home have to understand this. The, one of the catalysts of the call by BMO was the, it's the third most shorted REIT. And it talks about how they have one building, 245 park. They can sell that. It's a JV. Um, six assets worth thirty two thirty six. This is the beginning of a squeeze. And uh, we didn't recommend – I don't like to recommend on squeeze because that – you're trying to predict behavior. Right. But it, I, this piece was a very important piece because everybody's given up on New York real estate, except for the people who are trying to rent it. Uh, in the same way that uh, when there was a really great note from, from uh, uh, Boston Properties about, I guess, two weeks ago, saying, listen, everyone thinks the Salesforce Tower is kaput, but let me tell you something. We get calls on it every day to lease it. So maybe the, the uh, reports of the death of office real estate are exaggerated. Right.
0: I, I mean, I wonder, the, the, there's the storage REITs uh, this morning, how about that yeah. deal? Yep,
1: that was a deal causing I and mean, creating the largest one, and uh, that's been a very good millennial play. Millennials downsize; they put their stuff in in storage. Uh, obviously, we'll, we'll talk about uh, with Endeavor with Scott, but you know, this was just the kind of note which just says, "Look, there is value out there. There's value." Now, one of the things I think has really hurt us is that a lot of people are really afraid to do deals because Justice Department and FTC, FTC, they've. They've really put a wall in deals. And I think people at home should know that when you think about President Biden, uh, he does not like the oil companies and has discouraged takeovers, which then has created there's no floor on a lot of stocks. I always felt that when certain stocks went down so much, they would uh, possibly uh, look like they were going to merge. But that, that's not been the, uh, the narrative because I think that lawyers and bankers are afraid to say, look, you know, you'll be fighting the FTC. You'll be fighting justice. Right. And that's – they're tough.
0: Or or sometimes um, you fight the actual target. Uh, I see Stratasys here rejecting uh, the other uh, tank, the Canadian miner, rejecting Glencore.
1: I thought that that was an incredible thing, the tech. You know, those guys – here's another one that's very interesting. Glencore's a very smart buyer, okay, and they know copper really well. And this tech – they – T C H. not T-E-C-H – uh, has really unbelievably good holdings, and they reject a the bid uh, because they were going to split up. But at the same time, what matters is like you know you want to go into Glencore and say, "What do you know, guys? Because you're some of the smartest guys in the world. Why are you buying, trying to buy something at this point in the cycle? If you wait, doesn't it go lower? So I think there are a lot of people who say, "Listen, there's don't be so. This is today's a day where you just say, don't be as bearish as you were because people are finding the value. some value their, and stuff." And, and if you Find value, yeah. Kind of Speaking
0: of which, uh, when we come back, the judges with us this morning. Scott Wapner's exclusive. Well, that'll be terrific. Endeavors, are Emanuel, and WWE's Vince McMahon on their deal to merge UFC with WWE. Take a look at the pre-market here. Uh, we'll kick off a very busy week. A lot of data on the way, including some durable's and factory orders. And the, the employment of. employment but we're not going to be here. <laughs> which we can't. Uh, trade I here. work, but I can <laughs> More squawk on the street in a minute.
2: Let's get straight to the point.
0: Endeavor confirming a deal to merge UFC with WWE, forming a $21 billion global live sports and entertainment giant. Let's bring in Scott Wapner, who talked exclusively with Ari Emanuel and Vince McMahon, the two big guys at the top. Morning,
3: show. Yeah, it's an exciting weekend. Yep. Uh, Carl, thank you very much. Endeavor won the battle royal for WWE after what our own colleague David Faber reported last week was a, quote, hot and heavy auction. Under the terms of the deal, Endeavor will merge its UFC brand with the WWE, forming a new company that will eventually go public on the New York Stock Exchange. The transaction values the entity at some $21 billion, $12 billion for the UFC, $9.3 billion for the WWE. And that is a substantial premium over WWE's current $6.5 billion market cap. Now, after the deal closes, expected in the fourth quarter, Endeavor will hold a 51% controlling interest in the new enterprise while existing WWE shareholders will hold a 49% interest. So how exactly did these two parties end up as tag team partners? We asked Endeavor CEO Ari Emanuel and WWE founder Vince McMahon during an exclusive interview on Sunday in Los Angeles where the WWE was holding its two-day WrestleMania extravaganza.
4: This is the biggest thing Ari Emanuel and Vince McMahon have ever done. Yeah. Combining forces like this, is. there's nothing like this, there's never been anything like this. People have been talking about this for a long time. There At were least. a lot of other suitors sure, here. Sure there were. You know, but Ari, really, the synergies, everyone was, was very interested in us, and I appreciate that. But the synergies that Ari brings, totally different than everyone else. That said, many doubted
3: we would ever see this day that you would ever be willing to sell a controlling stake
4: in right. your company right. you are the wwe and the wwe is you so why uh, it's, it it's the right time it's the right time to do the right thing and it's the next evolution of wwe i could probably do what Ari is right now with ufc it take me 10 years you know by the time i would grab those 10 years you'd be 10 years ahead again. so it's like it makes all the sense in the world for all these synergies that we have you know to extract all of the value we can out of the marketplace
3: the deal values ufc you mentioned some numbers 12 billion dollars and wwe at 9.3 billion that's a big number
5: well here's wwe's market cap is six and a half here's what i would say exactly why we did this because i think we weren't getting the pure value i don't think the WWE was no, getting no, no. It, Combined, it's, uh, it's rarefied air, the two of us. And I think the analysts will be able to do it. It's good for the shareholders of WWE and for the shareholders of, of Endeavor. And then when you look back, I don't believe that the Endeavor shareholders were getting pure play for the rest of the asset that we had. And I think for the first time, you now have the ability to do that in both situations. And that's a win-win, which is what Vince and I have always talked about
3: when I throw those kind of numbers out to you I mean the the word on the street was that you wanted 9 billion Mm -hmm. this values the WWE at 9.3 right so despite everything that's happened I'm a visionary well you hit the number (laughs) yes
5: deservedly so but here's what I would also say to you we paid a fair price um, and I'll tell you why Uh, we paid a little bit for control premium um, with our cost cuts their new deals coming up, which is right now, Um, and um, our cost savings that we think we can extract from the business right now and grow the business with all of our levers, whether it be international sales, domestic, sponsorship, gambling, all the things that we do, um, I think it's right, right. I would also say to you is, when I bought IMG, everybody said I overpaid. It was actually one of the cheapest deals in sports. For sure when I bought the UFC, everybody was like at $4.2 billion. they were like crazy. We've tripled uh, the EBITDA in that period of time. And now with this, this is going to be UFC 2.0 um, as it relates to all the things in the flywheel that we can bring. Um, to them. And we have unbelievably attractive economics. The balance sheet's incredible, our uh, debt ratio is less than three times, our free cash flow conversion is unbelievable. So I think when people look at this business on a combined basis and also look at the remaining assets for both shareholder, it's incredible.
3: Now, the newly created sports and entertainment giant will have Emmanuel as CEO. With current WWE CEO Nick Khan staying on as president of the brand, Dana White continues as president of the UFC, while Mark Shapiro assumes the role of president and COO of both Endeavor and the new company. The wild card throughout the bidding process was what role, if any, WWE founder McMahon would play after a sexual misconduct scandal and investigation revealed he paid four women $12 million in hush money. McMahon was forced to retire thereafter. He did leave the company for nearly six months before returning to help lead a potential transaction. And most had assumed McMahon would leave altogether if a deal happened. But he is staying on as executive chairman of the board at the behest of Emmanuel himself. What I thought was interesting, Ari, is that Vince is going to be the executive chairman of the new company. Right. That
5: implies that he is going to have a say. Well, I would have said the following. I would have body slammed him if he thought he was going to leave. (laughs) Um, Because as I said to you before, here's a man who has seen around the corners at every beat over the last 40 years of this business and has a vision for where this business, way before a lot of people see it, him now being able to utilize what we have built in our flywheel, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. Because I got Vince McMahon, a visionary, that sees around Corner. I got Dana White, and what we've built, that's pretty unstoppable. So you wanted him to stay? Oh my God, yes. Oh my God. Did he have to convince you to stay?
4: Uh, not that much.
3: Would you have been content? I love
4: what I do. I've loved building WWE all my life. It's my passion. And to have an opportunity to have it grow like this from an exponential standpoint is like can't be better than that. It's an
3: interesting plot twist because <laughs> not a lot of people saw this coming. In fact, your own CEO Nick Kahn God. told our David Faber just back in February, quote, Vince has declared to the board, to me, to other upper management, he is 100% open to a transaction where he's not included in the company moving forward. Sure. You were ready to walk away?
5: Absolutely. I wasn't gonna let him. And let me see, we have a relationship for 20, twenty-three years. There's a trust, there's a friendship. When you're going into business and going forward, I think that's important. I'm glad he chose us because it was a very competitive situation. Um, but for us, it's an honor and also we're so lucky because of his vision about where the business is and where it's going. What happens if you guys
3: disagree. Executive Chairman McMahon right. says, I think we should be doing this. CEO right. Emmanuel says, no, I think we should be doing this, and this is my show. What happens?
4: Well, what happens there is we have a little contest in the ring.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Some people are going to say, he's not joking.
4: <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. I outweigh Ari by 100 pounds. <laughs> well, I think that's the answer.
5: But seriously, what happens if you guys disagree? Here's what we, here's what we said, right? Um, and I said it to him if we disagree on something that we want to do, guess what? We're not doing it. Um, it's the relationship I have with Silver Lake. Um, I would never put that, and it's the relationship I have with Dana. Dana's got the say as it relates to the UFC. Vince, as it relates to the WWE, he's going to have the say. We, we, we have nothing to do with the creative process. Um, that's Vince's, and that's Dana's situation. All the back stuff we're gonna try and do what we do I think that's what he wants but if there's a disagreement that's called a relationship we will work it out and that's how we have it let me make it clear I thought
4: you worked for me
3: (laughs) (laughs) on the creative side Vince do you plan to be as involved as you have in the past on the creative side
4: Um, yes and no Uh, on a higher level yes Uh, and the weeds but you always love to get in the weeds in the past. No, can't do that. What happens if Vince says, you know what? Mr.
3: McMahon, the character, <laughs> Mr. decides he wants to get back into the ring. You let him? His choice. Purely his choice. Purely. That's not going to happen. I also asked Mr. McMahon about the emotions of parting with a business his father founded way back in 1953, whether the scandal that rocked the WWE and McMahon himself ultimately led to that moment. You will hear that part of our interview within the next hour. And one more important note, I'm personally represented by WME, a unit of Endeavor. It's a talent agency that represents several CNBC anchors and on-air reporters, including the two of you. Indeed, uh, thank you. Many of our colleagues. So I also want to mention the full interview is up on CNBC.com as we speak. Um, he mentioned mm-hmm. Ari did during this process about you know, the analysts and how they're going to judge this deal. Thought it was interesting that many of the notes that I read going into this interview didn't see this necessarily happening, Jim. And I, I said to Ari, what did Wall Street miss? And his response in a classic Ari way was,
1: everything. Well, uh, Again, I mean, Henry Reese is my agent. I, I think that one of the things that I need to get clear is that subscription sports, if you can move it uh, from just one area, like it, let's say it's Premier League and it comes here, uh, this is ours, and it can go worldwide. I know that from Strauss delnick who runs Take Two, this is very that they this is their one of their great sellers. W. So maybe people did miss that this could be an international. Uh, well-loved subscription product, which is subscription. I know from from what I do here with CNBC, is the stickiest and the best thing to have. They,
3: uh, you know, their deals, the television deals alone, right? With Fox and and our parent NBC Universal are up for renegotiation. Those expire next year. There's a separate deal with Peacock uh, that was signed in 2021, so that's around uh, for a while as well. They think they have a juggernaut, and they Ari. Um, In the way that he has tried to think of the properties they have now in the UFC is going to try to leverage the whole thing into different areas, whether it's subscription or streaming. It's going to be interesting to see whether other streamers come out and try to negotiate new new deals as well, or if our parent company NBC Universal and Fox, for example, re-up their own deals. There's a lot on the plate still to be done aside from all of that. They still have a new board to fill out. There's going to be 11 seats. Endeavor is going to fill six. WWE is going to fill five. They have to fill out a lot of stuff, and then they're
1: going to go public again. Well, okay, so I mean, if, let's say people I'm... at home are trying to figure out what it's worth. There's a new co, and then there's an old co? What's old co?
3: Old co is Endeavor as we've Missed known up, it, with right? all of the other See, I always stuff. thought old co
1: was really good, but it's never
0: really gotten any valuation. Well, Andrew was asking you which, one, which name you'd want to own going into this deal. I,
1: I know. I mean, look, I... Look, I happen to love subscription business. This could be any subscription business that we're talking about. This is one of the stickiest. I know because a friend of mine who worked at the street worked there, and we were like at one point marveling that no one cancels. No one cancels. Well,
0: you know, you were in an environment where streamers are trying to take content and amortize it across the world, but you got language barriers. There are no language barriers with this. No,
3: and you, I mean, can you, I mean, just think about it, right? And that's, I think, how everybody's trying to get their arms around it now. You got the UFC. You got the WWE uh, all now under one roof. You've got, you know, two businesses that have excelled in live sports, which are the gold standard of television these days. And they think the power of those two brands combined under one roof
1: is going to be extraordinary. Well, maybe uh, when you think about what Ari said, and I speak to Ari, uh, maybe there's just a snob, snobbish thing going on. Like the analysts don't watch it. Now, Strauss Zelnick takes you. Jim, if you win, you would understand it's raving. I mean, it's, it's just maniacal, and it's all sorts of ages. But maybe Wall Street itself well, is, is it's just so Well, now you're getting so into what some <laughs>
0: call the Yellowstone Duck Dynasty bias, yes. right? Oh,
1: that's a great one. Well
0: to you put got it. you got shows that are doing five times succession, but don't get all the as much as Yeah,
1: we're watching succession but we'll I watch the, session, we'll watch the others. and I, I, look I think that some of the best money I've made is with Ross Stores and, and, and with TJ Maxx because the analysts went Burlington. The, I went to Burlington, the line is all the way out the door, but there were no analysts in the line. <laughs> I have to tell you, you know, it was WrestleMania
3: weekend in Los Angeles. <laughs> yes. Um, they had live, so they had a wrestling event on Friday at the old Staples Center, now Crypto.com. They had WrestleMania on Saturday and Sunday night at SoFi. And then on Monday night, tonight, they're going to have another live wrestling event at the arena. Isn't there like a so basketball they, game today? They have, the basketball teams are out of town, thankfully for scheduling purposes. <laughs> so they're going to dominate L.A. over this four-day period. And, you know, the convention center next door was loaded with people all over town with... Wrestlemania stuff, the wrestling stuff. We know how popular the UFC is. It's going to be interesting to see how Ari harnesses all of that. And I asked him, you know, how are you going to run all this? You know, he's the CEO right. of, of this new company. He's like, I've already got a ton of brands under the Endeavor roof as it is. You know, I, I've already figured out how to do that. So that's not of great concern. And I him, totally- Is there a
1: comp that we can use? What, how do we try to value it? Something that has—that's what you're—that's what you're supposed to. Well, do. I mean, look, I mean, there's <laughs> you're yes, the there is Formula One, but maybe Formula One is too is too, too corporate. Yeah, I, mean, I don't you know. You've talked
0: a lot about live events, you right. know. I mean, Live Nation doesn't reflect it, but certainly the MSG does.
1: Yes, yes. Well, look, I think it'll be interesting to see. I I I think it's going to be a little hard initially for people to understand because of the new co-op.
0: By the way, which the ticker symbol? TKO. 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 Technical knockout. So, and
1: they'll still
3: come up with a name. Well, K.O. Uh, is owned by another
1: company. Yes, that's
0: right.
3: That is true. That is true. So this will be T.K.O., and we'll see when it goes public. And I gather that's going to be a reasonably exciting day here at the New York Stock Exchange in front of you guys, uh, certainly when that happens. And I think it's sooner rather than later.
1: Thank you. Great stuff, Scott. And you asked some some tough questions. You know, I I think a lot of people are concerned about those lawsuits and what happened. And you
3: were right there. I would urge you to tune in at, at 10 a.m. when I get in specifically with Vince McMahon about the scandal, what it means to his legacy, and just how it factors into how this whole thing came together, how it might have affected the timeline, and even his willingness to do a deal. That's we'll terrific. do that at 10. Thank you, That's Scott. Good. We'll
0: see you in the next hour. All right. Thanks, uh, guys. Scott Wapner, fresh from Los Angeles. We'll get the opening bell uh, in about a minute's time. Uh, Jim, what do you think about? The notion of starting a quarter and a month with some deal activity, and it goes beyond uh, this one.
1: I like it. I just also hated what happened with the Nasdaq right at the end list, where they just it just walked up, and there were no real buyers. It was just a couple of aggressive people. Uh, oil people are going to start saying inflationary. We know that. I don't think it's that bad. but yeah, I, I think it's okay. I don't like a start where uh, I like the merger part. The rest, no. Brilliant.
0: Keep an eye on it. Obviously, uh, the Dow futures hanging in there, reflecting some of the volatility that's been introduced by OPEC this morning. Let's get the opening bell and the CNBC real-time exchange at the big board today. It's the New York Center for Children helping victims of child abuse. And at the NASDAQ, Sanmina, an electronics Uh-oh. manufacturing. Very good
3: up, very good company. Um
0: I'm just looking through the calls today. We should probably get to Tesla, Jim. And the uh, deliveries in the quarter, um, Bernstein. We're going to talk to Tony Saganaki next hour. Right, well, I
1: mean, look, the, cup, the stocks up sixty-eight percent. So you wanted this good number. Uh, you're talking about a, if we were, if they were GM putting out these numbers or Ford, we would double those stocks. It, it, it's a very impressive uh, series of numbers they're putting out. And I know Tony's like focused like on the price cuts. Yeah. I, I think that there's no advertising. They sell themselves. Uh, we're doing, the president's committed to charging stations all over the place. I, I, I'm looking at Hertz right now uh, for a series that I'm doing. Uh, Steve Schur, and they own 20, you know, 25% of the fleet is Tesla. And I just keep coming back to, it's an amazing company. Just own it. I really think it's amazing. And don't trade it on those quarterly figures. Just own the fact that the demand is amazing. Now, China, yes, BYD, they've got competitors in China. Right. But the fact is, is that we make the gold standard company in this, in this, in this vehicle in our country, and it, it's gold standard in China, it's gold standard in Germany. It's very impressive. People should just, like, say, you know what, that's why it's up. Uh, can it go further? We actually need to see the margins. I don't know how much they're making per car. But it's very impressive. And I know Jim Farley's a competitive guy, but he wants these kinds of numbers. Barry uh, Barr wants these kinds of numbers. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, to that point, it's probably no surprise that Ford this morning, on path to reach their target, of 600,000 EVs by year-end, 2 I know 2 million Jim by is, the end of 26.
1: Jim is trying very hard. Now, they are, it's a very interesting thing what's happening there. They raised price, prices twice for the 150 Lightning. There's absolutely no price sensitivity there. So we can sit here and say there's price sensitivity to the Mach-E, price sensitivity to the Tesla. How about the fact that the 150 Lightning, no price sensitivity? They go up to as much as 90,000. And there's you, know, you can't, well, they're going to start taking orders again, but... Ford EV is not, is not, uh, people don't understand, the F-150 is the iconic one. And notice that uh, the big worry for Ford had been Tesla coming into their market. But whatever happened to that? Yeah. So I I like Ford here. My trust owns it. It's been very disappointing. It's been Uh, very disappointing.
0: Meanwhile, uh, people still talk about what the smaller players have to do. Nikola uh, files for a huge common offer.
1: I know. I mean, you go to the mall, man, I saw Lucid and Polestar in the mall. And it's very interesting it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're with, I'm with Lisa, with my wife, and what she goes, Polestar, and I said, well, it's actually Volvo, which is owned by Chinese, which is, <laughs> she's like, nah, I'm tired, forget <laughs> yeah. it. Let's go over and look at Lucid. Yeah. we go to Lucid. I and, saw your tweet. Yeah, the photo. And, and I, you know, I said, well, she said, this looks good. And I said, well, they, they're having trouble making them. And she goes, eh, the hell with that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, what, why do we need these? There's Tesla. And the answer is, yeah, why do you need them? They're Tesla because Tesla's a really good company.
0: Uh, no surprise this morning at the open here, Marathon, Halliburton, Conoco, Schlumberger, right. Hess. How long does this last?
1: Uh, I think that we're telling uh, people in the investment club it's, it, that it won't last and that it's good to lighten up. The, these are uh, What will happen is I think the a lot of these sell six, seven times earnings. But the analysts were caught by surprise. It was Sunday. They were doing whatever they were doing. So they'll come out tomorrow and raise numbers and raise price targets. But then I think you want to let some
0: go. Yeah. Meanwhile, it's taken some wind out of travel names, namely airlines and cruise lines. Oh
1: boy! And everyone was—you saw there was uh, Ray, Raymond James was all oh, gearing up on the United yeah, Air they, they upped, uh, and Alaska. Alaska. And, and, and look, we don't; those companies are heavily levered to uh, to fuel. Uh, but I look—I think the travel thesis is still very much on this. talk that always—that always concerns me is why is American Express so stuck here? American Express is a company that's levered to Gen X. Gen Y, not at millennials. And the sign ups are just extraordinary. You know, I was looking in, on TikTok because I wanted to have some brain cells destroyed because I was thinking really smart. <laughs> there was this amazing American Express TikTok. And it was like, I and I found, I've been America's best member since 1982, and it had all these features I didn't know
0: about. It was on TikTok. Are, are, are you ashamed of them for advertising on the platform? No,
1: I was ashamed that I knew so little how much I could have used, <laughs> including the return features, the jury, and other. But no, I, I, I think that, that they are so much, Steve Square, is the CEO, is so much attuned to the new generation really wants to know about points. I mean, my wife takes the points. Oh, yeah, yeah. Know. They really want to know about all the features. And I think that this Wall Street, not like what we talked about with Scott. There is, and I keep thinking this would be a great piece for May of Money, maybe a series, that the snobs, the Wall Street analysts, they're not looking at the points. They're like spending them, whatever. But people in their 20s are counting, because of the, usually because of debt from school, yeah. they're counting every penny. And when they take a trip, they're looking and seeing what American Express gives you them. You should
0: do a, a whole show just called Blind Spot about the streets and ability to look at as you said that uh, is valuations in wrestling or streaming or media well, I like or their points yeah. I mean,
1: I look Strauss I don't think again I refer to him because he's I don't work for Strauss you know I'm connected with with WME. but I mean Strauss was saying Jim you've got to go with me to Long Island to go see a WWE and so he knows my wife so I said we should go I did say the same thing Just. Not in your life. I said, no, no, no. We ought to check it out. We ought to just like do some market research. Just uh, that one's on you. Yeah. But,
0: but that's typical. Yeah, yeah, it is. And you've already said the street's already under researched, uh, just because there's too many companies yeah. and not enough analysts.
1: Yeah. And I, I just think I really love their model. Someone I had mentioned from the street when I used to be there before some takeover occurred that I've never really understood. Uh, we would marvel at their at their their subscription. The stickiness of the subscription. It, it's just, it, it's kind of crazy how positive it is. There's
0: a ton of news in financials, by the way, today. Uh, you've got uh, this journal piece about hung debt uh, over at uh, BAC and MS. Uh, you got SoFi buying a fintech player. you got these downgrades of uh, paychecks and a- ADP.
1: Uh, Look, the street has hated paychecks no matter what, and all anyone has to do at home is look at a chart and realize how wrong that is. There were two, two company, two uh, downgrades, and what they're saying is, look, you can't own paychecks at this point in the cycle, saving with ADP. And I come back and I say, all right, I know you're going to sell it down. But I had John Gibson on last week, the CEO. Uh, yes. And no no weakness anywhere. Now, one of the things that's happening is the analysts are trying to get ahead of recession or downturn and saying this is where historically you have to sell it. And I totally get that. 3% yield doesn't hold up as much when you have the two years high as it is. But I I would like to see more evidence. I don't want to say this time is different but these are this? these are great companies and they might be good buys right. after they're taken down uh, i mean that. paychex was at 141 then out 11 they went to downgrade it and i get that but i to sell but i just caution people these are good companies ADP. i was with the ceo they're good meaning they've seen they've seen, they've cycles. seen cycles they're not naive
0: right uh, that said, consensus for Friday is 240, which would be the lowest since December 2020. Well, I mean, but
1: I think that we're already going to start seeing through that and saying that the Fed stops and maybe we get an acceleration. Look, I, I I, know I've been ridiculed for believing in J-PAL the whole way. Uh, I just hear people constantly tell me that, uh, Jim, what are you thinking? And I come back, and I think, I think he's a person with a heart who's trying to have a soft landing. And so far, so good, with the exception of the fact that I do believe like Senator Warren, that there should be some discipline of the people who ran the Federal Reserve out West. Right, right. I, those people skate. That would just be. That would really be terrible. Right. There's some people. People should be fired. Everyone at home knows they'd be fired. Yeah, Why is the yeah, Federal Reserve any different? I, Everyone true. at home is saying, "Why aren't they fired? I'd be fired." And I think you know, these are not breached in Buffalo. Okay, these are people who really hurt the system, and I'd like to know who they are. I don't want them fired. Yeah.
0: Um, your point about uh, the market betting on rate cuts down the road in the, in the face of weakness is exactly what Mike Wilson writes about right, uh, this right. morning. He says, look, the, the the race to tech as a defensive mechanism in the wake of bank stress doesn't make sense. No, it
1: doesn't. And, I, you know, sometimes I'm critical. No, I, I've been critical of that, but I think he's a very good analyst. He's very rigorous. And I thought that was typical of a really good analysis, which is they're based on earnings and growth. They are not safe havens. And I, I think one of the reasons... I, I, I want to be clear. I, I think Mike Wilson is a really smart guy, and that kind of point is why I like him. I, you know, His price targets, I can disagree with, but that that is a really good narrative that people must understand. You don't buy tech because of the balance sheet, because when they report, and uh, they don't do the number, they go down, and no one talks about the balance sheet then. Yeah,
0: that's true. Uh, there's a look at Apple. By the way, Tim Cook and GQ. How do you like that? Uh, talking some... Uh, uh, AR, VR, talking some App Store, privacy. Well,
1: I mean, I, I, look, I, I think he's, I make no bones about how I think that's the ultimate, uh, uh, own it, don't trade it. But I do think, and by the way, privacy is far more important for Apple than you never, don't hear much about it. But there was another analyst today saying, you know what, February looks like that the cell phones won't come through. And I'm just, I want to ring the guys down because I'm like, please. Please, those, kinds of the, those are the calls I'm really against. The trading it on the base of what you hear when Tim Cook is the master of disguise yep. when it comes to figuring out where he's ordering things. And look, look, that is still the best company on earth. I, it's a tech company that has a great consumer product. I think we all are on it. We all, I mean, I'm trying to buy. I, I was trying to get the new home not, note. And one of the things that I was at the store on Saturday... Look, the analysts, I'm not saying they're, they're, this is not a snob, not snob, but why don't, doesn't anyone just say, you know what, this is a great company, and you can own it through cycles, because it is.
0: Um, as for AI today, Jim, I think it was uh, the B of A desk last night looked at the, uh, the re-rating of NVIDIA higher and wondering why Microsoft is not keeping pace, given that they seem to have uh, the magic weapon of the moment.
1: I, th- I completely agree, but the re and my trust owns both, I think the reason why Microsoft should not have been down this point. I think that stock goes much higher but NVIDIA Jensen Jensen Wong, the CEO is very charismatic and nobody could have this without him uh, so I think that what happens is people say, you know what, I, I want to own the pure play because Google uh, Microsoft and Oracle are in there, at, kind of almost as resellers of what NVIDIA is doing but NVIDIA, now you can call NVIDIA and you can get this stuff and uh, the humility of Jensen is, is always very—I'm he, he, not saying he's ethereal because he's a CEO to run the business, but he does not say, you should buy my stock. Right. He talks about how there's guardrails and we're going to be really, really careful. And the end of it, you say, well, you know what, if there were no uh, cards— then we'd be stuck with Moore's Law, upgrade Intel today, because it's down Bob too Bernstein, much. Yep. But no, he said, I remember when I, I saw him, like, the last time he was like, Moore's Law's dead. How are you? <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, well, in, as for AI, there's a uh, chatter about uh, either outright bans or yeah, Italy, Italy, Germany says it's not off the table. Pichai was on a podcast, I think over the weekend, and talked about uh, tech at large. Take a listen.
4: This is going to need a lot of debate. No one knows all the answers. No one company can get it right. We, we have been very clear about Responsible AI, one of the first companies to put out AI principles. We issue progress reports. AI is too important an area not to regulate. It's also too important an area not to regulate well. So I'm glad these conversations are underway.
1: It's just happening so fast. Right. Uh, I think that Shantanu Narayan, by the way, is a very good handle on this at Adobe. And the idea that you can eliminate copywriters is very clear. Uh, because if you have an Instagram page and you want to, and this is very, by the way, it's very empowering for people. Uh, and you want to sell something, you make something, you can say to, uh, uh, to ChatGPT, I have this, 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 I want this, this, this and the copywriting is done instantly, and it's also beautiful, and you can just use an Adobe commerce system. So I think that there's, on the one hand, I, I like how it's empowering people, and we're not talking about that. It's making people sound like they're big companies and doing it in a way that's very responsible. But on the other hand, is it really us that you have a totalitarian country in China that I think has demonstrated routinely that it tries to uh, know everything about you, almost in a 1984-style Orwellian right, thing. Right. And this would make it so they don't even need you. You can become a Black Mirror. Black, you, you, you can become what they want you to be. And, and I think that that's the real worry. Is it, I think We could call it in person's per, your, your per, You're becoming that person. Right. Okay? And, and uh, impersonation is going to be rife. Right. And I think that if you have a leader who's against your regime, how, how easy would it be to just have that leader say really positive things about the regime, but it's not the leader?
0: Yeah. I mean, um, you can't tell the difference. No, no, you're right. And as for the productivity uh, impact on employment, we got two companies today, Jim were layoffs, or at least part of the discussion. One is Disney, which right. I know you discussed with Andrew. And the other is McDonald's. McDonald's. And this weird uh, sort of closing offices so they can notify. Yeah,
1: I mean, people have to understand, like, you know, there's a fellow, Chris Kempinski. I like Chris. He's the, the CEO. And I, I don't expect him to ever be cryptic. I mean, Kempinski, he's not a cryptic guy. And yet that was cryptic, and it surprised me because I think they're one of the most open companies. Well, you've seen Stock's been on them, fire, yeah. And it's been a total winner. I know that people are talking about quick circuit QSR catching up to them, which is Burger King. But this has been a great stock. And this might be the first layoff in kind of non-tech where they just say, you know what, we, we have too many people. It, that has nothing to do with how well they're doing, just that they could do more with less. Yeah. But McDonald's has been a horse here and just a consistently good stock. Yeah. So I was surprised, I wish they would call us and say, listen, you have to understand that this is a holiday or something. It was very quizzical, very great American.
0: Yeah. And Jim mentions the QSR upgrade on Friday. As That's Cowan, what, Cowan went sense. to outperform.
1: You know, we didn't even mention PPG, by the way. Right Now, PPG has been saying for a long time, they've missed a bunch of quarters, missed a bunch of quarters. Now, they made the quarter, and they made the quarter, Frank Mitch, for helping. Uh, lots of China reopening, aerospace doing better, margins better. But this is the kind of thing that I think is going to happen. Banks are not going to report good numbers. But a company like PPG that's got its costs in line with China opening, look at
0: that. I know it's weird. We got an upgrade of Vulcan, which I know you watch. Yes, I love that. But then Goldman that. cuts Agco, Dude, Manitowoc, and just, Oshkosh. Man,
1: you know, look, okay, so these people, <laughs> the inventories are higher. So there's absolutely true. Although Agco, I think, is levered to the A very good ag cycle. I know that the weather has been bad for for farmers, so the people are are saying that they won't spend. But I think that these guys are downgraded ahead of what's going to be a massive spend that's coming in here. And Vulcan and Martin Mary materials, which I like very much, are really much more levered to housing. Right. They they build when you have new housing projects they build new roads and that there's not been a lot of new housing that's no. one of these they've kept you know the Lennars uh, uh, KBH, they've all been told, all very disciplined and so DH Horton disciplined so I would have liked to see more road building it's but there will be yes uh, IRA is going to have it so there'll be
5: more
0: paving yeah. Uh, Markets hanging in there. S&P up a couple points, uh, getting some data today. ISM at the top of the hour, but first, manufacturing PMI. Let's get to Rick Santelli. Hey, Rick.
1: Yes, Carl. S&P Global, the U.S. manufacturing
3: PMI. This is a March final, so, of course, we will replace the mid-month read, which in this case was 49.3, and we'll replace it with 49.2, which means we still have five consecutive sub-50 reads in a row. And this is the lightest number, 49.2, well, just since February, When it was 47.3, we haven't been above 50 since October of last year. And we have more ISMs, uh, PMIs to come from the ISM. We'll have manufacturing, prices paid, employment, new orders all at the top of the hour. We see interest rates tick down just a smidge, but all maturities are
4: higher in yield, lower in price than Friday's close. Squawk on the Street will return after
5: a short break
0: Let's get to
1: gym and stop trading. Okay, it's not a big deal, but uh, Mars, which is the fourth largest private company, uh, is buying Heska, which is a, a pet company. Pet, they, they, well, they manufacture for pets. And what's interesting is, is that we keep seeing this consolidation. Now, we've got Smucker doing, uh, they're doing dog treats, pet, you just- Kind of just like, I guess, pet
0: snacking, mm-hmm. so to
1: speak. And they're doing quite well. We've got Zoetis doing well, which is uh, animal health.
0: Blue uh, Buffalo with General ba- Mills. And then
1: General Mills crushed it with Blue Buffalo. So this consolidation, which I don't think the government's going to oppose, tells me that this is still a very growth area. I, I, can't, I looked at Heska and said, how did I miss Heska? <laughs> and the answer is that, well, we miss so, there's so many companies. But pets remain a very viable
0: category. So, so we finally found the area of m and where regulation is light. <laughs>
1: right. They don't see, no one is speaking up for the dogs in this world. I think that's – I think that the FTC ought to just make a statement right now saying the dogs have had it. We're not going to let this deal through.
0: Can we get a white paper from Canada or Khan? Or oh,
1: well, you know, I think there's one coming in the Yale Review, and it talks mostly about how it's just absolutely wrong that pet food – is that, <laughs> that the dogs will be slighted. There's only like 40 different kinds right. and Blue Buffalo's the winner, but she'll find some, but she probably doesn't like this deal. Uh, what's up tonight? You know, I'm, I'm analyzing, it's probably funny because we are doing the WWE, but I'm analyzing the companies that are, that are just simply not trading well. They're selling at five, six times earnings. And try and explain to people that why pump companies, why you don't own these shares, why people are, it's dangerous to own a five times earning stock this point in the cycle
0: because but, of the value trap phenomenon be,
1: exactly right. and I want to explain value trap but I, in some cases I'm going to say take the other side but there are a lot of companies right now that are selling four to six times earnings and it looks like wow those are so cheap but if we get a recession they're not cheap right
0: well we know what's happened to home builders best consumer sector of the well, quarter
1: I think that they have been they've shown great discipline and I think people don't understand that when you read their quarters they're not. They're building almost to suit now. They're not just throwing up things. And you've got you've got such great people who run these companies. Doug had told us his conference calls are just remarkable. All of their conference calls. Stuart Stewart Miller at the beginning of the Lenore, fantastic job. But those companies showed amazing discipline. And as soon as rates tipped down a little bit, the order sprung up again. So I I always like to analyze these companies to say maybe they're all undervalued.
0: You've got some opportunities. That's a great show. We'll see tonight. you tonight. Thank you very uh, much. Mad Money 6 p.m. Of course. When we come back, we'll kick off our week long series on where to put money in the quarter. Uh, Today, it's the playbook for big tech after that big rally in Q1. Don't go away. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street.
5: CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to
2: CNBC business news updates wherever you get your podcasts.